Today we're going to look at the, one of the, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a more difficult parable. It takes a little, little work. I, I think I first taught this parable almost 10 years ago to some youth kids, and it caused quite a stir with them, and maybe it'll do the same with you. As we go through this, I'm going to do my best to explain it on, on how I've understood it. I, now, I could be wrong. It's happened before. It'll happen again, I promise. So if you disagree with me, you're more than welcome to always disagree with me. It's, it's part of the thing. If you, if you just come and talk to me about it so we can have a fun debate over it, then it brings me great joy. So this is not an easy parable as you look at it. Now, I think it's, it'll get easier as we go through it, and I do my best to try to explain the historical context, but it's not an easy one. This one is, is, is a little different. It's a little tricky. And one of the reasons is because it, it hits our emotions. This is going to talk a little bit about heaven and, and hell and to talk about the afterlife. And so that, that gets a little emotional for us. And so I think that's one of the reasons that it becomes maybe a little more difficult to understand than, than at first. This first slide is going to take us a little bit to, to unpackage. So Jesus is going to give us a parable. Now remember, a parable is a story that doesn't have to be true in the sense that it happened. Right? The point of a parable is to teach a lesson. Now there's some things in this parable that make it seem like maybe it happened, but we don't, we don't know for sure, okay? So we're going to jump in, in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. This is the parable of Jesus, the parable that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus, okay? Luke 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus said this, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with source, and longing to eat what fell from the, man, from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his source. Now Jesus is taking two individuals that are very different, and he's going to compare these two, okay? We have the first person, who's the rich man, and we have this, the second, who's a, a man described as a, as a beggar, whose name is Lazarus. First thing you notice is one of, a, one of these people has a name, and one of them is not given a name. Now that's going to be important as we go through the story. One's just described as a rich man. One is actually given a name, which is a fairly common name in Jesus' day. There's actually an, another Lazarus that we're going to talk about in just a minute that Jesus is friends with. One has a name, one doesn't. Just remember that as we go through the story. So the first man is described as being wealthy, as being rich. And, and Jesus even goes as far as to describe some of how you could tell he was wealthy. He's dressed in purple. Now purple was generally given to who? Who was allowed to wear, wear purple, especially during Jesus' time on earth? Royalty, right? Matter of fact, a certain color of purple was, was excluded only to, 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 to Roman leaders, to, to, to the Caesar or, or people who are like him. Now, how they would dye clothes in the ancient world was very different than how we dye clothes today. We all buy clothes that are, have all kinds of color in them. They didn't do that in the ancient world. One, it was expensive, and two, how did you get the color? To get the purple that would be used in this rich man's clothes, it would take probably thousands, if not m- more, of, a, of a, a species of mussel that had this little sack inside of it that had the, the color purple that they would collect all these mussels, get all these little sacks, and that's how they would dye clothes. So it was a very expensive and laborious process to dye a piece of clothing purple. So by telling Jesus, by telling his original audience that this man wore purple clothes, was to kind of taking it, his wealth to the next level right? He's not just wealthy, he's very wealthy to be able to afford this type of clothes. And to have that color of clothing, he has to hold some type of a position, right? Not anybody can just dye their clothes purple. He has to have a, hold a position that's important in, in his community. So he's dressed in purple, and not just as he dressed in purple, but he's also dressed in fine linen. 
Now, the fine linen described here is a, a flax that came from Egypt. And it was often used as, as undergarments. It's the same stuff that mummies were wrapped in in Egypt when they were, when they were buried. Some of that stuff, if you, have, if you don't know, actually has like lasted to today. Right? They, when, they, when they uncover mummies, that some of them, the linen will still be in place. It will still be intact thousands of years later. It was often referred to, some of it was so fine and so soft, it was referred to as woven air because of how it felt when it was worn. So take that purple clothing and the fine linen, and what do we have? We have somebody who can afford to buy imported clothing from Egypt. He's extraordinarily wealthy, and Jesus tells us that. He says he lived in luxury every day. This man has so much wealth that he lives in excess, and he does it all the time. That's how he lives. That's how his life would be dictated. And then in verse 20, we're introduced to another character who's the exact opposite, right? So at the rich man's gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Notice that he was laid there, that he didn't go and lay there, that he was laid there, which would tell us what about Lazarus? Yeah, he has some type of, of a handicap where he's, he can't, can't walk. And in the ancient world, if you couldn't walk or you couldn't use your arms, you couldn't work, you generally, unless you were born to a wealthy family, were, were, had to beg for your existence. So it tells us that he was laid at Lazarus's gate. Now, we don't know who laid him there or why. Maybe we're assuming that the, per, the people who laid him there were friends. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they're just trying to get rid of him. And they laid him there hoping probably that Lazarus, or excuse me, that the rich man would help Lazarus, right? We're going to put him at the gate of this man who has so much wealth that he has, he lives in excess, lives in luxury every day. Maybe he'll help this Lazarus. Maybe he'll give him something to eat and drink. And we, we know also about Lazarus that he is covered in sores. He's probably covered in sores because one, he can't move. So he can't tend for himself, care for himself. And he lives outside. So so if you lived outside for any amount of time, you're going to be bit by all kinds of bugs, mosquitoes, all all kinds of things are going to swarm around you and and cause you to have all kinds of sores. Not to mention he could just be, have a disease, right? Could be just have a disease that's uncared for and has led to him being covered in sores. Telling us that every moment of his existence is a painful one. If you're covered in sores and you, I don't care if you're laying or standing, every, every second hurts. Right? Every second hurts. Not only is he laying there, unable to care for himself or to provide for himself, not only is he laying there covered in sores, but he's laying there hungry and thirsty. Verse 21, Jesus tells us that he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. He's hoping that he could just get the crumbs, right? The stuff that you probably let your dog, if you have a dog, eat if it falls. That's what the, that's what the poor poor man Lazarus is hoping for. But this, understanding the context of the story is also important. William Barclay in his commentary has this to say about this section. It says, in the time of Jesus, there were neither knives or forks nor napkins. Food was eaten with the hands, and in very wealthy houses, the hands were cleansed by wiping them on hunks of bread. Then the bread was thrown away. It was that bread which Lazarus was waiting for. Bread, if you're wealthy, is inexpensive. Bread was the existence for most people in Jesus' time and place, right? Because it was inexpensive. If you're wealthy, bread's nothing. So because they didn't, they used their hands to eat, didn't have napkins, they would take pieces of bread to cleanse their hands with it and throw that bread away. Now, if you're a germaphobe, this is going to get disgusting, right? If you carry Purex with you all the time, this would not have been a time and place you would have liked to have lived. 
Because what Lazarus is hoping for is to eat the bread that has a little bit of the food that came off the rich man's hands. That's what he's hoping to eat. Jesus is trying to paint a picture for us, isn't he? That Lazarus is in dire straits. That he has no one to care for him and he has no hope in his existence. And every moment is spent in pain where the rich man, Jesus tells us, every moment of his life is spent in luxury, in excess. And not to mention, is it this bad that poor Lazarus is unable to work, unable to provide for himself, unable to care for himself, showered, cleansed, covered in sores, He's hoping to eat bread that someone wiped their hands with, which is disgusting. It's even so bad that dogs, even the dogs, Jesus said, came and licked his sores. Even the street dogs, who are not like your little fluffy that you put in in a sweater at Christmas time. Like these are dogs, feral dogs, right? People in the ancient world didn't have dogs as pets generally. The dogs would come and lick his sores. And what's he going to do? How's he going to stop them? If he's unable to walk... And who knows if he has use of his arms or hands, how's he going to stop them from doing this, right? I mean, the picture is the exact opposite. You have the rich man who has everything he could ever dream and more, and Lazarus who literally has nothing. And this is how the story continues in verse 22. The time came, which are sobering words, because just in case, spoiler alert, if you didn't know, the time, this time will come for all of us. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 22 is a great verse because verse 22 levels the playing field, doesn't it? See, there's one thing that we all can, besides taxes, right? One thing we can all guarantee it's going to happen in life, and that's death. I know it's kind of a sobering thing to think about, kind of bums people out. Some people really don't like thinking about it at all, but it's going to happen to all of us. And the same fate that awaits Lazarus, the beggar, awaits the rich man. In life, they had nothing in common, and the inequality between them was great. But in death, the playing field is level. Because death comes to all of us. The beggar, Lazarus, died and is carried to Abraham's side. It's a Jewish way of saying what we would think of heaven or Jesus' reference on the cross was to paradise. The rich man also died, Jesus tells us, and was buried. And in verse 23, we see his fate. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, the fate didn't come to them because of the amount of money they had. That's not why the the fates are that way, right? This is about character, about who they are, about their faith and trust in God. So the beggar goes to what we would refer to as, as heaven. And the rich man goes to Hades. Hades was known as the place of the dead in the ancient world. And Jewish consciousness su- split up death. So when we talk about heaven, right, and this is why this passage gets so interesting so fast, is when someone dies and they're in Christ, they go to Abraham's side, paradise, or what we would describe heaven. But that's not the final heaven, right? There's a heaven that's going to be much, earth, much, much more like earth. It's earthier. Think of the Garden of Eden. And so as, you're, as we're waiting the final judgment, we still go places. Our spirit is still somewhere. And that's what we have here. Is the, is the beggar, Lazarus, he's carried to Abraham's side. 
the place of reward, where the rich man is taken to Hades, which is the place of torment. And in Hades, the rich man is in torment. He looks up and sees Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And this is what he says. So he called to him, Father Abraham, which would be any Jewish person would call to Abraham that way, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. The rich man can see the man who laid at his gate all those days, months, possibly years, and sees that he is with Abraham and thinks to himself, how did I end up here? And why is it hurt so bad? And because the rich man hasn't figured out why, he makes a very interesting request. I don't know if you caught it or not. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Did you catch it? See, even in death, the rich man still thinks he's better than Lazarus, doesn't he? And thinks Lazarus is a servant. Say, hey, since Lazarus is just hanging out there with you where everything's great, can you send him to me so he can help me? Is that the request? That's the request, isn't it? Lazarus is thinking, um, no, I'm, in pretty, I'm pretty good right here, right? Like, you figure it out yourself, bro. Like, I mean, I'm not, no, like I'm, that's not going to happen. That's my, just me adding comments, obviously. But, I mean, really, if you're there, you're like, no, dude, you're, you're good. You take care of it yourself. The rich man still hasn't figured it out, has he? He thinks Lazarus should just come leave the place of reward, leave heaven and come to hell, essentially, right, and help him out. Jesus responds for Abraham, and luckily his first one is fairly, fairly nice. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. He says, Hey, dude, you had all the good stuff you needed. You had been blessed and been given so much, and all you did with all those blessings was hoard them and keep them. You got with all the good that you had coming to you. And because you didn't invest in something greater, in something more, because you put your faith, your hope, and your trust in your stuff, in your things, in your luxury, and in your wealth, you are getting what you deserve. But, but Lazarus, Jesus says, he had nothing in life. And yet he had faith, trust, and hope. And because of that, he's here Look what he says in verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Abraham telling the rich man, your fate has been sealed. You had your chance to respond. You had your chance to come. You had your chance to put faith, trust, and hope in this God of ours. And you chose not to. And every choice, if there's anything we can teach our kids, every choice we make has consequences, doesn't it? Sometimes those consequences are good. Sometimes those consequences are bad. But every choice we make in life 
from the time we are born to the time we die has a consequence. And the rich man made his choice, didn't he? And Abraham's saying that choice has consequences. Every choice does. The story ends this way. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. He hasn't caught it yet still. Did you catch this? Lazarus is still just a beggar, isn't he? Well, send him, since he's not going to send him to me, send him to my family. It says in verse 28, For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. His response, the rich man's response is, No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Remember, this is a parable. It's a story. Jesus tells to tell a point, to teach us a lesson. The question we have to answer is, what is the lesson and what's the point? Now, Jesus doesn't tell this story by accident and doesn't tell this story in a vacuum. Jesus has been picking on a group of people. Do you remember their name? He's been doing it for a while now. They're the Pharisees. And this story is absolutely about them. Absolutely about them. Think about them. The Pharisees are wealthy. They've used their religious position to advance themselves politically and economically. And Jesus believes that they have lost touch with what God truly cares about. That's Jesus' assessment of them. I think that's a fair assessment to make. If you read the New Testament, Jesus thinks that they've lost their way. They've lost the point. They don't understand what they, what they came to do. And they wear, we know the Pharisees wore, fine clothing, didn't they? Nice robes that signaled their authority. And they think they're in, do they not? And they look at those that are less than, the people who Jesus has spent his ministry around, healing and preaching to them, they think they're less than. We saw a story not that long ago, right, where Jesus had people that, were, that talked about a feast and who, who shouldn't be invited. I invite those that come from the street, people who are willing to hear. Jesus told us that it's not, he didn't come to heal the healthy, but came to heal the sick. All that is leading up to here in this moment. The rich man, of course, is the Pharisees. And right after this happens... Jesus goes to a man named Lazarus, a friend of Jesus. And Jesus catches word that his friend, Lazarus, is sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus. Jesus is traveling and is not close by. It takes Jesus a while to get back there. And by the time Jesus arrives at Lazarus' home, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He didn't get there fast enough. And he's met with the weeping and mourning of Lazarus' sisters and friends and people who knew him who come all the way from Jerusalem to mourn with his sisters. And this happens just after, I mean not very long in the New Testament, after Jesus tells this parable. So I'll read to you out of John chapter 11. I'm going to begin in verse 38. It says this, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So I took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus brings an actual man named Lazarus back from the dead. And what is our rich man in our story requesting Jesus, or excuse me, requesting Abraham send Lazarus to his family to do? Warn them. And warn them with Lazarus because of why? Verse 20. 30, excuse me, of Luke 16. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham's response was, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus just brought an actual physical man named Lazarus back from the dead in John 11. And look what the Pharisees do next in John 11:45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God. To bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. This parable is about actual people who actually lived. And Jesus was actually 100% right. He tells the story the rich man who plays the part of the Pharisee says, but if somebody were to come back to life and, and show them the power that this Jesus has, they would believe. And Jesus does it. And what do they do? They continue to plot his death. This parable is about people who are unwilling to trust, unwilling to put their faith and their hope in this Jesus. People who are so stubborn and stuck in their ways that they can't possibly admit that they could be possibly at fault for something. That because they have been to church so long, they think they've got it all figured out. And the problem with that is they don't. And brothers and sisters, the same temptation can come to us if we are not careful. By thinking that we've been a Christian by, for so long, or have done this, but so that somehow God... God owes us something. He doesn't owe us anything. He never has, and he never will. He owes us nothing. He's already done it all for us, hasn't he? The Pharisees believed in their own righteousness, their own goodness, their own rule following their own importance and authority and position, and they trusted only in themselves. And people like Lazarus in the story who have nothing flock to this Jesus because he offered life, hope, mercy, compassion, and true love. The religious people of Jesus' day often missed the point 
didn't they? May the same never be said of us that we've missed the point, that we somehow think we've earned or deserved something from God because we don't and we never will. God has given us everything we could possibly ever need already by sending his son, his only son, to the cross. Taking all of our sin, all of our junk, all the skeletons in the closet and taking them and taking care of them once and for all. He's done it all. He owes us nothing. We, on the other hand, owe him everything we've got. Everything we've got. Because the only reason we could end up like the beggar in the story is because of Jesus' faithfulness, isn't it? He takes care of all of our sin and gives, it the po- gives us the possibility of life everlasting with him because he did it all. It's a great song. It goes, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He washed us as white as snow. We didn't wash ourselves. He did all the washing. Brothers and sisters, may you see that you and I are Lazarus in this story. That we are helpless. We have nothing to offer. That we are crippled and bring nothing in our hands. And yet God loves us that way. He'll take care of it all for us if we just put a little hope, a little faith, and a little trust in him. Believing and putting all of our faith in him. He'll take it the rest of the way. He'll take it all the way. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come here today and to read this story, powerful story of the rich man of Lazarus. God, help us to guard our hearts from the moments when we think we've earned something from you because of our, our church attendance, because of our Bible reading, because of our praying, because of our, whatever it is, God, that we think we've, that we've somehow earned something from you. God, remind us that there's nothing we could possibly do to earn your love your grace, your compassion, and your mercy, that you give it out freely to us when we believe and we trust in you. God, help us to do exactly that, to trust, to put our faith, our whole faith, our whole trust in you. God, we thank you for all that you do for us and all that you've done for us. We thank you for this Jesus who came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, only to offer himself as a sacrifice on our behalf, to pay for all of our sin once and for all. We thank you that he was true to the mission you sent him on. We thank, we're thankful, God, too, that even in his death, our enemy couldn't hold him, that the grave could not keep him, and he came back to life three days later, giving us the hope of life everlasting with you, of taking the sting of death away once and for all. We thank you. We love you. We pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.